That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. We're going to jump into the show here in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about our Patreon page at BobSuskaShow.com. You might have noticed that most other podcasts only present one show per week or even one show per month. But here on this show, the Bob Seska Show, we record four shows every week. In fact, make it six shows a week if you include the postmortem bonus shows on our Patreon page. And since we're not part of a cable news network or a fancy corporation, we rely on your support to keep producing upwards of six shows per week. And the best way to support the Bob Seska Show is, of course, to sign up for as little as $1 per month at bobseskashow.com. That's pennies per show and only $12 per year. But it goes a long way toward allowing us to keep up with the fire hose of news every day. Again, that's bobseskashow.com or just click the all caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And now let the cartoons begin. Recorded live in the USA covering the whole wide world. Right on! This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, July 14, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 176 of the Biden-Harris administration, 482 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. All right, John Amato, the founder of CrooksAndLiars.com, is here today. Years ago, I don't know if you know this, but years ago, John invited me to contribute to his blog and along with the Huffington Post, helped me to get my name and my voice out there. And I might not be doing what I'm doing right now had it not been for those platforms. Well, today, we're going to talk about the origins of Crooks and Liars, maybe some reminiscing about the old days of Blogosphere 1.0 in there, too. I definitely want to ask John about his incredible music career as well. The man played saxophone with Duran Duran, Ringo Starr, The Knack, Ronnie Montrose, and so many more. This is going to be a blast for those of you who've been with the blog since the middle 2000s. So get ready. In the meantime, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at patreon.com slash Show. Okay, let's catch up with the great John Amato from Crooks and Liars. So how you been? It's crazy as usual. Every day is a new fucking adventure. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. How did you uh, manage through the pandemic? Well, you know, being a uh, an OG blogger, yeah. um, huh. you know, I'm used to sort of, you know, working, you know, where I live and, and all that. And mm. I moved 
to a, a, a little more isolated spot. But, um, you know, I had a lot of family members uh, get, you know, get infected. It's yeah. funny when it first started, um, I have, like I said, I have uh, my niece's husband, um, he got it and he's an electrician. Oh, and, uh, and then he got it early on and, you know, he couldn't get a test for like four or five days. And then, um, then, you know, he went through the whole protocols and he wound up getting it uh, like a month later. So um, it did spread through my family. I know there were neighbors, older neighbors that got it in my area that passed away. Um, I, I don't, you know, and and what my uh, my family tells me is, uh, you know, when they even say like, oh, it only affects, you know, old people. Mm. Um, you know, one of my closest relatives said he knew seven people that had passed away from COVID between 35 and 50. Good God. Wow. So, you know, um, I, you know, I did the best I could. And, you know, Sammy, my, my cat for 16 years passed away on March 30th. Oh. And it was, it was tough yeah. because, you know, I, you can tell, like I knew, you know, he'd been a little sick for a while mm-hmm. and then to try to even get him to the vet at that time was hard. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And um, so, but, you know, I made it through um, the election six months a year was insane. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, with the just the the craziness. I mean, mm. uh, you know, I, I've been covering right wing media or all media actually since since two thousand four. Oh yes, and um, you know, I was one of the first. Obviously, I was the first to start putting video up of these crazy cretins of, of hell <laughs> that just serially <laughs> lie and are mm-hmm. trying to get their viewers killed now. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I just remember even back in the old days, there was this, uh, I think his name was, was it John Gibson that was on Fox Yeah. that they were back around 2005 or so they were, Fox was angry because uh, whites weren't uh, populating the country enough. I remember and, that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And right. it's like, we got to give people five in the noggin <laughs> and, Right. That's what I had called them. And then it's, you know, you have to start making more babies because if not, I mean, they were doing this right, right on 2004, five, six. If you don't make enough babies, then the brown people are going to take over. I mean, oh, that yeah. was the yeah. first. It, and yeah. it's just gotten exponentially worse, especially when you get a narcissistic buffoon. Right. Um, right. Con man running <laughs> uh, that party. It just open the floodgates of complete insanity. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, you know what? You were mentioning that Crooks and Liars was the first blog to do video, which it very much was. I mean, you guys were at the forefront of that. But you it was one of the first group blogs as well, which is now, I think most blogs are group blogs now. But you guys were at the forefront of that. It wasn't just you. You had a whole troop of other bloggers working with you at Crooks and Liars at the same time. And that was, you know, you rewind back to around the time that we met in the midst of Blogosphere 1.0, 2004, 2005, 2006. That was a big deal. You guys were breaking some ground there. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, you know, any adventure that you, you partake in, especially with the Blogosphere back then, you know, I didn't start this with the idea of, oh, wow, I'm going to you know, do something different or spectacular. Mm-hmm. I'm a creative person, you know, I'm a musician, but I've always been also, you know, back in, in, in grade school, I wanted to be Rod Serling. <laughs> you know, I loved the Twilight Zone twist ending stories and I had wanted to be a writer. And when I first went to college, I, I was wanted to be a journalist because I wanted to be a writer and then I won a music scholarship, but that's a whole other. Yeah. Other yeah. Situation. We'll get into that. In a, so we'll totally get but into anyway, that in a second. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, so, 
so, you know, at first it was actually by myself mm-hmm. and, and, um, I got, you know, I started to reach out to some other bloggers and then, um, a friend of mine figured out how to rip video off of uh, TiVo. And wow, TiVo. Because uh, I was, because I remember, you know, I was talking to him going, you know, it's like you could read the quotes of like a bit back then, Bill O'Reilly, right? He had the best cable ratings mm-hmm. and or, you know, Hannity and Combs, right? Yeah. Hannity. Um, and it's like you can read these quotes, but unless, but you, if you see them, it's much more powerful. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I wish there was a way I could figure out how to do that. And then like a friend of mine goes, oh, guess what? And uh, mm-hmm. th- there was these hacks that people had figured out uh, how to hack into a TiVo. And sort of that was and the light bulb went off. So I said, ah, let's do, you know, yeah. I said, you mean you can download something and I can put like a two minute clip up? He goes, oh, you could probably do that. Get over here. You know? Yeah. I mean, that had to have been uh, exciting and daunting because we're talking about what 2005, 2006, and being able to host streaming video, especially embeddable streaming video, <laughs> had to have been an enormous technical undertaking, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was. There was no infrastructure, right? right so right. it was kind of like we did. It was we were like the first DIY kind of things happening <laughs> as far as when it goes to to the internet. And um, so, yeah, what happened is a friend of mine was an editor at. Um, E Entertainment, and he had been an editor at, at Fox Sports, and he was also a, uh, you know, he wanted to, you know, he was writing some songs, and so, mm-hmm. so I was help. He didn't understand song form, you know, right. So I said, well, I'll, I'll help you, and um, so we were talking about it, and and he had basically saved. He was, I forget, I think it was a program called Sonar, and he had saved the files. So then he came over. And he goes, oh, they're, you know, they're, I store them up up in a, you know, um, on some servers. And uh, so that was that. So I actually wrote a song years ago that I posted. It was a goof on Bill O'Reilly mm-hmm. and uh, we uploaded it. And uh, so then when, when my, my other friend, my IT genius friend told me about, well, I think I can hack into the TiVo. Okay. We made the video. Mm-hmm. So now how does everybody see it? Right. Right. You know, like, okay, well, I could see it. So then, like, I I realized I called, you know, I'll just call him Donnie. I said, Donnie, (laughs) now you uploaded, um, you know, the the songs up, up, you know, to 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 us. Uh, I forget the name of the company. I mean, it's no longer around. Right, right. Sure. Sold 10 times. (laughs) And he goes, yeah, it's like twenty five dollars for 100 gigs or something, you know. And so I said, well, listen, if I upload something, can I can I put like a hyperlink on it? So that then when you click on it, it'll download it, you know? Yeah. And and he goes, I think you can do that. So I uploaded. So then I just bought an account for 25 bucks, uploaded it. And then I put like click here to see the video and it worked. And I yeah. was like, holy shit. I mean, <laughs> you know, and the first thing I actually did put up online was a daily show clip. And that was in October. I think it was October 19th of 2004. Wow. 2004. And, uh, That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was sort of the start of it. And then I realized like, you know, to me, again, it was all about exposing the liars in the media that were telling the people, you know, Saddam Hussein was going to nuke Cleveland, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or, you know, and all the, you know, what, what got me started, you know, first, my, my first political awakening was the 2000 election when Florida, 
you know, and Catherine Harris and oh, then the yeah. Supreme Court basically gave the election to George Bush. So I was that was my first sort of, uh, you know, real awakening mm -hmm. about what was happening. And then obviously, as, as we move forward. Um, I just wanted to, I said, you know, we need transparency because the media wasn't even commenting on really much of Fox News outside of something or outrageous. And so then, you know, I, I said, you know, I got to keep doing this. Just I mean, I didn't know what I was doing as far as how to get links from people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was all fair. I mean, I was fairly new into this. And uh, and then after a time, you know, it, it's like, you know, uh, people realized oh wait that's pretty cool yeah yeah and uh, then it just started to take off and um and you know that's that 17 like um, can you believe it's 17 years yeah it's mind-boggling john it, it really really is that so much time has gone by but we were all making it up as we went along i mean you were especially at the vanguard of all of that with video and everything like that and the amazing thing about the video on crooks and liars is not only was it something that set you apart in terms of your content. But it was also something that was a convenient promotional tool because, as I said, you could take those video clips and you could embed them into your own blog. Like, I remember embedding Crooks and Liars videos into right. my blog, which also spread the word about Crooks and Liars. It was like free advertising for your blog. And right, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I planned on, wow, well, this is a great promotional tool, you know? It's yeah, just, yeah. that's just the way, and it's funny because one of my best friends, right, you know, he lived in uh, in California, you know, in Venice, and so when this thing, when it started in 2005, it started to sort of take hold, and he's, and, um, you know, I was off the road, I had been seriously injured by a doctor, I don't need to get into that. Oh my so God. So I was crippled for a while. And so I was disabled. You know, I couldn't. It was rough. I don't want to get into it. But okay. so then he was <laughs> saying, well, you know, what do you think you're going to do? You know, what's the because I couldn't I couldn't play music at that time. So I told him I'm doing this. And he thought I was crazy. <laughs> you know, like, wait, you're doing this. It's like, what is this that I, you're talking about? Even but <laughs> like I realized, there's a, a lot of head scratching, right? Like what but, a right, blog, but, what is a blog? That's a funny word. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, it was, it's funny. The term blogging, I think actually came from Ariana Huffington because, you know, I was good friends with Ariana for a oh, long yeah. time. You know, and, but it's like, nobody used to say, well, I blogged this. It was Ariana who started doing that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and so all of a sudden, you say, well, I blog this. No, you write something. You post something. You know, yeah. I write on a blog, you know. But um, <laughs> anyway, it was, uh, you know, it, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. But um, it was, you know, it's funny. I actually, back in to early 2005, I realized, like, what this was about. Because, you know, I went from, like, you know, 100, you know, hits a day. on Back then, it was Sight Meter. Actually, my first platform was radio userland mm. and uh and then it went up to like five thousand and then six thousand and i was oh, like yeah. oh wow this is pretty cool you know yeah. and i realized i said you know what i mean i don't have the resource i i i, I kid you not i actually called the corporate offices of google <laughs> and told them i said listen i don't know who to talk to but i have an idea um as far as a video platform 
you know, because they obviously had all the space, yeah. you know, and I just thought it's, and I, I got nowhere. It wasn't like I spent weeks trying to contact people, but I made mm. some efforts, you know, and then it was funny about a year later, suddenly like YouTube showed up, you know? Yeah. And, it seems like and, maybe you were way ahead of the curve on that. Well, you somehow. know, I realized, I mean, I realized, you know, fairly quickly that this is an important step because mm-hmm. again, um, Actually seeing what's being said and spoken instead of reading a quote is much more powerful. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially, um, you know, watching these, you know, QAnon, you know, conservative, I don't even call them conservatives anymore. <laughs> just right. QAnon Republicans. Mm. Uh, it's disgraceful, but you can't really, if you read it, you still have to see them to believe your eyes that people, I mean, there was a guy on yesterday, right. On Martha McCallum's show is mm. this guy, Ty Smith. And he was on, you know, they, they also, it's all performance, like grievance politics for, for these QAnon people. Now mm-hmm. yeah. there's, there's no, there's there's no like legislation. There's no bills. It's it's all about attacking the left or finding some outrage. So the guy, this African American guy, went on one of these. Suddenly, school board meetings are like Fox News's number one, um, you know, uh, target. Uh, you know, to cover. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, oh, the outrage, the parents being taught critical race theory, and he starts screaming about it. Uh-huh. So now he's so now it made his radio show bigger. And he was on with Martha McCallum's show on Fox News. And he basically said uh, slavery was never about races. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now just think about that. I mean, <laughs> and and Martha is just like, oh, yeah, right. That, yeah, of course. Well, listen, it's really great having you on. The guy just said slavery <laughs> wasn't about racism. That's right. And so, well, thank you for coming on. You know, yeah. it was lovely. It's, it's some next level madness going that. on there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but it's I mean, this is just one example of a thousand of, of where, you know, the where they've devolved, yeah. you know. Yeah. But anyway, so so with the site, then, you know, and then after a couple of years, I actually was I mean, you know, it's funny. People tw- talk about getting Twitter flamed and all that stuff. But <laughs> back, you know, before Twitter was around, it was our, our comment sections. Oh, yeah. And I remember going on CNN. And 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 uh, one of the uh, you know the hosts was saying, well, we we hear that the comment section is like the wild west, you know. And it's <laughs> like, well, listen, there's groups called like there was one group called Fuck France, and and these guys, you <laughs> know, back then that. it was Halo Scan was basically the the, the commenting platform that there was, uh-huh. and you can only ban twenty IP addresses. So if you get a group of thirty people, just I, I mean, the yeah. stuff that they were doing in the <laughs> comment sections where they would put up like lynching pictures. Mm-hmm. Right. Constantly. Oh, yeah. Or uh, also like, you know, old, old men, you know, um, you know, having sex with each other. I mean, racist, homophobic, disgusting stuff that they would post in the comment section. And it was almost impossible to get rid of. Oh, yeah. Know? Yeah. And in fact, out. there were a lot of blogs that had just open comment areas. In fact, the Huffington Post started that way where just you didn't have to register. You didn't have to sign up. Anyone, literally anyone could comment. So you would end up at the Huffington Post and there would be under a particular article, there would be thousands and thousands of comments completely unmoderated. So all of the weirdo shit that you were just talking about would end up in the comment sections of some of these blogs. It was an incredible period of time, especially given now where you have to register and there's admins and it's very well curated. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they, yeah, but they still, you know, as as comment sections and websites and security gets better, so do the trolls. Yeah. So do the Russian bots. 
mm-hmm. right? So do the ransomware scumbags from uh, you know <laughs> overseas. So um, so they just find ways to get around and to spoof, and uh, it, it it's always a problem. But I just I laugh when like uh, you know I'll see um, you know an NRA person complain. What was the name? Dana, right? Uh, oh, they're being mean to me on Twitter, and it's like you know how many death threats I received. Oh yeah. Um, I can't even tell you how I mean I would get emails if I if I find you, you know, I'm going to I'll guess you, I'll put your head in the oven. I you oh, know, yeah, I just, me too. You know, I mean, I it was just insane just in the comment sections alone, let mm-hmm. alone the emails that I would get. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I it's funny cuz I had saved a lot of them and then the and I was not a computer whiz at the time. And so the hard drive went and I lost all these. I put them on a notepad, you know. It's like oh, I'm going to just and um, so I lost stuff from like 2005 till, you know, 2008 or something. But um, it was horrendous. And the stuff that I see now, like you talk about snowflakes. <laughs> I've never seen the biggest whiners in my life are the Republicans online. It's it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, you know, and um, back then it was, yeah, it was a free for all. And we did we did our best mm-hmm. um, to, to, to monitor that. But my goal was getting content out. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. to keep being transparent. And, and we didn't just focus on Fox News. I mean, you know, back back in the early days, like a lot of the media, I mean, MSNBC hired Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I remember that. Right. And yeah. that was after George Bush won reelection. And I called and I got through to a producer there and I said, I don't understand why. You, why I mean, why are you hiring Tucker? Carlson? And the guy's going, look at the map. And I'm going, what map? The election map. So, you know, the Fox News map, how they look at all that red. (laughs) Right. Even though they got like 40 million less people that they represent. Mm -hmm. Right. They have more, you know, barren land. Yeah. So it's like, look, look at the map. And it's like, what are you talking about? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, they had Joe Scarborough on. Right. And and he had a Scarborough country. I mean, you know, he sort of changed a bit because Trump was too odious even for him. But um God, so, Scarborough I mean, country. Oh, my God, Scarborough country. I oh, completely yeah, forgot know, about that. Yeah, people remember like the, the Mel Gibson, right, Passion of the Christ movie. That started right. the, a, a big evangelical website <laughs> thing where they'd have these, you know, uh, big websites. So, like, he had guests on from all from all these, uh, you know, Passion of the Christ movie fans. Mm-hmm. And, yes, well, I own a bookstore, and I have 11 kids. Yeah. And, you know, liberals are horrible, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, liberals are horrible. She said it right here, folks. You yeah, know, yeah. Or they, they'd have, uh, you know, Bill Donahue on from uh, the Catholic League, you know. Oh, I remember said, him. You know, yep. There were no, you know, there was no pedophilia in the church. You know? <laughs> I mean, so it, it was what it was. So the whole media, I mean, even through CNN, I mean, Lou Dobbs was on CNN for years upon years, you mm-hmm. know, and it, and it was until finally they they couldn't take his xenophobia anymore because he was doing that whole that Mexico wants to, you know, take over Texas and get their land back to reconquistadores. I, I forget exactly what it's called, <laughs> that, you know, like. And yeah. so once you started doing that, they finally kicked him off. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he found his home. Yeah. You know, on Fox business. And then because you can just do whatever you want. But yeah, yeah, I mean, CNN, MSNBC, there was, you know, there was they were all sort of 
imitating Fox News at the time. I mean, there were some good, good, uh, good programs on, on those networks. Mm-hmm. But remember, Phil Donahue got kicked off. I remember that. Because yeah. he criticized the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I've been dying to ask you, John, about how blogging has changed, how social media has affected blogging. And one of the things that I think we could end up seeing in the not too distant future is with social media, it kind of, in a sense, uh, replaced some blogs, right? It didn't replace all blogs. There's still plenty of blogs. Obviously, Crooks and Liars is still around going strong. But social media has kind of eked in on that space a little bit. But I think with the fact that social media isn't necessarily owned by the creators anymore where you own crooks and liars. There are lots of bloggers who still own their own platform, but with social media, you're kind of at the whimsy of people like Mark Zuckerberg and and Twitter and so on. But I think that's going to create a backlash. And I believe that more people are going to go back to owning their own blogs. What do you think about that? Do you think it's going to come full circle again? Well, I, I hope so. You know, because um, we are, you know, you hear about the the right wing grievances about how they're deep, you know, they're, uh, you know, canceling out all conservative voices. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. they're all on Twitter still, you know, yeah. and just complaining because, you know, they can't spread conspiracy theories, you know. Um, but what's happened is with Mark Zuckerberg, you know, p- people don't notice I've written about it because we just ran a fundraising uh, drive and we're going to do another one after the summer because um, what, what they do is they change their algorithms with no, and they don't tell you what it's about. So then suddenly um, you'll have all this traffic. Then they decide, well, we're not putting this in, in politics anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and, and our content, you know, if you look at NewsGuard, which is sort of the new, like they're arbiters of who's spreading conspiracy theories, yeah. you know, we, we get high marks. I mean, um, because that's always been the key to the success of Crooks and Liars. First, having great, you know, editors, Carol Lee Coons is, is wonderful. Oh, yeah, and, she's and, the best. Yeah. And Fran and, and, and the rest of the team, you know, and, you know, uh, Elise Worthing, they really, you know, and scarce, they really you know, do the job and work really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten harder and harder because like, suddenly we'll lose, you know, 50,000 page views for why? Like Reddit decides, well, you know, now we're, we're not going to use any, any other news sites except for this. Yeah. So then, you know, I mean, like a lot of the other, you know, mainstream, like we'll call them websites, right. From Mediate, and all the right wing sites and political, they get tons of traffic from Drudge Report. Mm-hmm. I think he basically keeps them all afloat. <laughs> yes, you know, because, he does. Because he's a tremendous aggregator of content. Mm-hmm. And the left has no function like that anymore. Right. Um, you know, Huffington Post tried to do that for a while. But um, and then, of course, they made changes and, and uh, you sold know, and the then, site. Yeah. Sold it to sold AOL. And that was the end of that. Right. Um, and um, so it used to be more of a. Uh, like where where we would share each other's comments and links and go wow check this out you mm-hmm. know where where because of the advent of social media it made it harder to get advertising dollars mm-hmm. uh, also with political campaigns uh, you know I wrote a big article back in in the 2012 election at the Washington Post I was interviewed about because suddenly um, you know we are look I mean we do news. We do a lot of opinion, but the one thing is our journalistic ethics cannot be questioned. Right. And so we don't, you know, we're not making, you know, when 
when uh, Breitbart first started, his first big thing was he he uh, edited, uh, you know, a, a a an Obama appointee and made it look like she said one thing when she didn't, mm-hmm. you know, like. And that's the one thing, you know, I would always say, listen, we need extra time on that video so people see a little more as opposed to, I, you know, putting up 10 seconds or something. That's you can just edit that, and make anybody look bad. You right. know? And um, so they've taken. Uh, so what happened is because of Google's rise, they now own and take over all the advertising revenue. Yep. So these consultants come in and tell uh you know, President Obama and Mitt Romney, well, let's just do these cheap targeted ads. There's no first party ads anymore. Mm-hmm. And so and all the unions and everyone else was just advertising through through Google ads. And and so it really hurt revenues for if you're not a big corporate entity or if you don't have the Mercers funding you, um, you know, or the Koch brothers, uh, you know, the Coors family. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it made it much more difficult moving forward. Yeah, it really. So did. that's a big problem, you know, now for a lot of blogs like myself and a lot of others where um, where where it with you got Mark Zuckerberg and the Daily Caller, a.k.a. Tucker Carlson mm-hmm. is a fact checker. <laughs> right. And, you know, the other thing, um, speaking of Zuckerberg is Facebook used to be a great platform for promoting your blog, right? If you had your own website, you could post a link to it on Facebook. It would hit all of your Facebook friends. People would see it. And in fact, for some reason, Facebook, above all of the other social media platforms, is the platform that people used to use to click on links. If you put a link up on Facebook, there's like a, I don't know, a far greater chance of someone clicking on that link than posting the same link on Twitter or any of the other social media platforms. So for the longest time, Facebook was this great way to drive traffic to your blog. But then suddenly, I can only imagine how you guys were affected by this. When they changed the algorithm, I believe it was in late 2013, it completely choked off all the traffic to a lot of these independent blogs and websites. So Mark Zuckerberg not only uh, built up traffic for our sites, uh, certainly crooks and liars, but then also pulled the rug out from under all of us at a particular point. Did you guys get affected by that change in the algorithm? Yes, we did. Um, I mean, but they keep changing them over time. Yeah. So we weren't at that time. We weren't, um, you know, Facebook wasn't our main driver of traffic. So we didn't rely on them totally. Remember, there used to be a site called Dig. Yeah. And so they <laughs> used to, you know, they were great aggregators. Yep. You know, Mimi Random is still around, and but they don't really aggregate much traffic. Mm-hmm. So um, sure, you're always looking at links and, um, you know, we were quoted all over the place from the New York Times and the Post and, and all different news networks. And, you know, obviously, you know, they won't admit it, but I, I knew a bunch of producers from CNN and MSNBC and, you know, they would use our websites to, to produce segments mm-hmm. because we had been working like crazy the night before early in the morning, you yeah. know. And so with these algorithm changes and they here's the thing it frustrates me the most too. you got Facebook is worth who knows like 10 to 100 trillion dollars mm-hmm. and even Twitter yeah. and YouTube. You try to get a customer service person. <laughs> I mean, luck. have you ever tried? Oh, yeah. Um, to, yeah. You it's, know, it's like insane. Yeah. That that they just like they, like they, they'll make a move and then that's it. And 
and, and so they can just say, well, you know, you're banned or you're suspended or we're changing this algorithm. You get no explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just gotten ex worse year after year. Yes, it has. And um, so it's yeah, it's 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 harder right now. It is harder, and that's why we're you know we're uh, you know we have a subscription service now. If people just want to subscribe, if they want to get ad free, they can join in. And it's fifty dollars for the year, mm -hmm. and that will help keep us going. Yeah. And um, and again, you know, it's we, we have to adapt. But, um, you know, again, we don't have you know, it's the one thing I have a big complaint about the left and I've written about it and I've talked to people in meetings like we get, you know, like the, the big left wing donors and the what they believe is if they donate to a political candidate, that's it. They're done. Yeah. Yeah. Where if you look at the right, the only reason why the right is, is you know, has been as successful is because they run a ground game 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and they fund everybody. People that are kicked out that that have been, uh, you know, found out to be plagiarists two years later, they started a group called the Federalist, and now they're on Fox News every day. <laughs> How is that possible? Because they're getting shadow funded. Right. And, yeah. and of course, it's hard to even find out who's funding these people. Mm -hmm. Well, they so, um, they, tr they treat their content like a, a commodity. They sell it by any means possible, whether it's bulk book buying or ninety nine percent of every Red Hat platform out there is uh, buying traffic, uh, buying followers, buying likes, buying shares. You can buy all of this stuff in the open market. I mean, you can go and buy podcast downloads if you want. And so everything is artificially inflated, but what that does is it gives them this level of prestige and uh, artificial attention that um, they're able to use and exploit and, and build up their base uh, because of all of that. And it's uh, immensely frustrating because on the left, you don't necessarily necessarily have that infrastructure right no exactly and and they've been doing this um you know since since the 60s mm -hmm. and um or since goldwater yeah and and so suddenly like the mantra has been going on tax cuts tax that's all they come that's you know that's their thing tax cuts fits everything well you know how did that even happen and mm -hmm. you have to read some history and find out that they just keep doing the same things it started first with mail order um, you know, sending out mail, the big mail king. And then um, it's grown to where we are today. And um, it's it's very frustrating because, you know, because we have the same beliefs. I mean, our, our focus is on the working class of this country, right? 99% mm -hmm. of this country. And, um, and, and so do a lot of, you know, we'll call them democratic millionaires and billionaires, but they... I'm not sure why they don't see the correlation that if you want an honest message delivered, you need to, you need, you, you just can't go on MSNBC one time and think like that's gonna, that's gonna do it. You know, yeah, um, yeah. You, you need to be, be promoting the working class and that messaging, mm -hmm. um, Constantly. Oh, yeah. So, you, you need to support the influencers as much as the political campaigns. I think most of the left's money goes into political campaigns, and that's fine. I'm glad that that's happening. But at the same time, you have to also promote, I think, and help and to uh, to boost financially 
the people who are establishing the agendas, establishing the talking points, getting the word out there, authors, podcasters, bloggers, writers, uh, you know, et cetera, down the line. That's what the Red Hats are doing. That's what the current Trump Republicans have been doing. And, and as you said, this has been going on on the right since, uh, well, for 50 years at least. Oh, absolutely. And um, and it's it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now, you know, it's funny because the pandemic, you know, obviously um, affected lots of people in a lot of different ways. But with the with the QAnon Republicans, um, it's 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 a cult. It's yeah. really not. It's not about the Constitution. It's not about any of, you know, the the Bill of Rights or the flag. Mm-hmm. It's really about, an you know, an autocratic buffoon that now they bow down to. Yeah. And it's, and, and like, I just, it's funny. I, I clipped Newt Gingrich the other day <laughs> and um, we used it in a different article, but I'm actually writing a quick article. And, you know, Newt was, was one of the first purveyors of lies and, and conspiracy theories and yeah. outrages that, I mean, it got him kicked out pretty fast as being speaker of the house. Right. But, um, and, and he just went on and said, well, look, you know, these m- voting machines, um, you know, they're programmed to steal votes for Democrats. That's right. Yeah. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, and he, and of course, these Fox News cohorts don't say anything, but yeah, that's probably, I mean, he actually says voting machines steal votes. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's, it, you know, machines steal, he said, machines steal. So it's, it's now for the, the right wing extremists, it, it's not, was the, the election stolen, but of course, I mean, you know, of course yeah. it was stolen. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, voting machines, you can't even trust voting machines. Yeah. You but- can't trust anything outside of cyber ninjas, you know, <laughs> taking over the, the, you know, the vote, <laughs> the voting structure oh, of yeah. every state. Yeah. Yeah. These guys have always been really good at the I know you are, but what am I defense? Take whatever the left is saying, reverse it and and, and redirect it back at the left. Right. So if Republicans are stealing elections, all the Republicans say, well, it's a Democrat stealing elections. See, see. Right. And it's uh, no, of course, it's like there'll be. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be a hundred examples. Look, you know, the last like a couple of years. The only people convicted of voter fraud have been Republicans, you know, mm-hmm. and and all over and over again. And also the whole QAnon child pornography, drinking the blood of children. You know, the only people that have been convicted of that are, are people that are on the QAnon websites. That's right. So, um, I mean, they are really good at that. And, and mm-hmm. what I've been writing and, um, you know, telling that we need Democratic politicians to start fighting fire with fire. I said this, I've been saying this for 15 years mm-hmm. um, because you have the truth on your side, you have the facts on your side, but you just can't tell people, well, you know, a 37% of the time, you know, this happens, but you know, people support this by 559%. And then with the, you know, and if we carry over the three, that means that people like this better than, you know, you have to fight. These people are fascists. Yeah. You yeah, have you know. to go on and 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 just say it the way it is. You know, remember when Alan Grayson a few years ago, mm-hmm. right during the Obama the the, the health care, he, when he said Republicans just want you to get sick and die, yeah. right? That's that's like 
that that's like a blip on the scale of what Republicans how they talk today. But I back know. Then, oh my god! The entire media was outraged. Yeah. Chuck Todd, how dare he? CNN, NBC, ABC. <laughs> that was like the worst thing. How dare you say Republicans want to? You know, want to do that to people? Yeah. Now. Now their whole structure is about dehumanizing everybody on the left. Right. So, so it's not, so if they talk about Kamala Harris, she's an idiot. She's stupid. Like they don't even, they, there's no respect for any political office. If you're their opponent. Okay. We'll get back to our conversation with John Amato here in just one second. But first here's a word from Stephanie Miller. Well, do you ever catch yourself thinking when you're looking in the mirror? Ugh, ugh, I wish those under eye bags would just go away. You're not alone. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women. Until now, introducing the new GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Susan from New Jersey wrote me, I've been using GenuCell for a couple of months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love this product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids. With its instant effects, Chamonix says you'll see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. I love it. I use the entire line of products. It is my favorite skincare I've ever used. Um, they guarantee it, though. Results in the first 12 hours or your money back. Order now. Get 50% off all GenuCell packages for summer. Go to lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. That's love, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Stephanie. Lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. I use it every single day. I get so many compliments. Check it out. Lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. The Bob Seska Show. It's amazing. Back in 2006 or so, we were all talking about how uh, completely bananas the Republican Party had become. But I don't think any of us could have predicted that Republican politics would continue to disintegrate into this cuckoo's nest that it's become. I mean, if someone had traveled back in time, John, to 2006 and informed us that in 2020, Trump would be president, Donald Trump would be president. And after allowing 600,000 Americans to die from a global pandemic, he'd end up getting 74 million votes anyway. I mean, I wouldn't have believed that time traveler. I would have said, ah, yeah, you're crazy. (laughs) What are you talking about? That's Donald Trump. That's crazy talk, right? I mean, we couldn't have predicted it would get this crazy. 2006, you know, I completely agree with you. But back in 2010, Dave Nyrett was my managing editor. We co-wrote a book called Over the Cliff, How the mm. Election of Barack Obama Drove the Right Insane. Yeah. And what what I'll just boil it down. The election of a black man to the Oval Office um, really flipped out the, the kingmakers of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And listen, there's always been, if you go throughout history, remember, people don't realize the KKK was a political party in this country. Yeah. That was that was a right wing religious party right they were doing it for god you know or that was what they said yeah um and so they've always had extremists all over the place i mean you just go to even with alex jones and nine you know 9 11 was an inside job right Mm -hmm. um that was a big deal it was a lot bigger than than the media led on but at least 20 25 percent of the people back then thought it was an inside job you know and so what they did they were so afraid of obama's um, his charisma that they let, I say they let the nuts out of the Jack in a box. <laughs> and so, and that's when you saw the summer of hate, the whole healthcare debate when what they're doing now, they did then, mm-hmm. which is if a democratic congressperson was holding a town hall, they just overran it and were, and were violent and spitting and attacking people. Yeah. 
right? I mean, you know, you're taking away my Medicare. What are you talking about? You know, like, like yeah. that's, that's a socialist program. But, and so what we wrote is that this is only going to get worse mm-hmm. um, because now they let the nuts out, out of their cages and now they can't pull them back. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I mean- it's, so that's, so they let, you know, the, like back in the nineties, right. The black helicopter crowd, the militia movement, um, now these people are, you know, marching on streets. I mean, they tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why it was think so about Im- that. Yeah. I mean, that's why it was so important, I think, for websites like yours to be covering the batshit crazy people on the, the fringe of the right. And I get this a lot. Why do you pay attention to people like Alex Jones, Bob? And I said, well, look. Donald Trump was the Alex Jones president. Make no mistake about it. The crazy people have taken over the chicken coop. I mean, this is what has happened to the Republican Party, and we've watched it happen in real time over the last 20 years. Those of us have been writing about it. And it's uh, it's just staggering to see how far it's devolved and how cynical it's become too, John. I mean, the approach now is we don't care if any of this makes any sense. As long as we're winning the day, that's all that matters. That's the only thing that matters to the Republican. That's why one day, I mean, there have been paragraphs in which Donald Trump, there have been sentences, in fact, where Donald Trump has contradicted by the end of the sentence what he started out by saying at the beginning of the sentence. You know what I mean? But it doesn't matter, does it? No, no. Listen, uh, you know, Mr. Peach, television, radio, (laughs) cloud, yeah. water president right um <laughs> right um i mean it's it, it's 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 mind-boggling mm-hmm. but um yeah. that that this narcissistic buffoon got to where he got but it's not if you thought about it in 2006 yeah but not moving on like when trump you know people forget that he helped uh, he helped develop Fox business, but also he was the king of the birthers. Right. And and the whole media laughed at him. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I'm going to find Obama's real birth certificate. Right. And he was I mean, look, we know his racist history, but that was he the, 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 the smart thing that he does is he listens to the to the hate AM radio mm-hmm. And and also and his Fox News shows. And so then he takes the most vile things that they say oh, and that yeah. became his platform. Mm-hmm. And and you know, now when you we watch, you know, because when Roger Ailes was alive, right, he tried to put out a glitzy, shiny product, right? Fair and balanced. Yeah. And now it's 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 basically the same thing as turning on AM radio back in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. No one talks uh, about the fact that Donald Trump is the world's greatest knockoff artist. Even the uh, birther thing, John, he just stole that wholesale from Orly Tates. Remember Orly exactly. Tates? She was the birther woman. She was the one who popularized. In fact, you know, Mark Halperin was the guy who mainstreamed the birther movement by writing about it in Time Magazine in his column in Time Magazine. And that became right. a thing. He actually recommended it to John McCain in the 2008 campaign. Here's how you can win, John McCain. Make a big deal out of Barack Hussein Obama's middle name and heritage. Right. That was Mark Halperin. And that became Donald Trump's thing because he stole it. He stole it from all those guys. He's stolen the Fox News platform, too. I mean, that's the MAGA agenda. It's Whatever's on Fox News, that's the MAGA agenda. So and that hardly gets any coverage, does it? No, I, I you know, that really, I mean, just look how many people he hired from Fox News. Mm-hmm. So um, and then so then the people would go on Fox News 
and just say what he wanted to hear, hoping they'd either get a job or yeah. they'd get invited or maybe they had a friend that wanted to be pardoned. Uh, you know, it goes on and on. I've never seen really something quite like this. That's incredible. Uh, well, we never, no, we haven't. But again, it, it was in two in 2010. Dave and I predicted that this would only get worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. And and it has. And now, where where we have QAnon candidates that that say, well, if you want me to get vaccinated, that means you know I need to you know that you're treating me. You know, as if you're a Nazi and I'm and I'm in a concentration camp. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's where we are. Yeah, um, by the it, way, I want to emphasize Dave Nywert one more time because he's one of the best writers, one of the best political writers of our time. He wrote a great book called The Eliminationists, which set correct. the standard as far as examining right wing violence, which we're now seeing. I mean, he basically called shit like the insurrection years and years ago. That this is the direction yes. that the parties and the, and then the book that you guys wrote together completely forecasted a lot of the crap that we're seeing now. And I want to make sure that we all give you credit for that, not only uh, giving us Dave Nyward. So I want to make sure that that's emphasized. Yeah, he was uh, he was great. We're still good friends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, we went to a lot of conferences together. Yeah. And then we promoted the book together at times. And, um, <clears throat> now it's you know, again, it's it, what's funny is when you'll get like the 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 sort of the, the the progressive writers on New Yorker or some of the other magazines, mm-hmm. it's like it takes them two three years to come to the same conclusion that we did. Yeah, and then when and then when they write about it, it's like, oh my God, look what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know what, John? We have been right about so many things. The left, uh, liberal writers, uh, Democratic writers, however you want to define us as a rather large big tent group. Uh, we've been right about everything from the 2000 campaign to the Iraq war to uh, 9-11 to WMD to the failure of the George W. Bush administration, the incoming uh, uh, Great Recession that occurred beginning in 2007-2008. We were way ahead of the curve on that. I remember uh, Tom Hartman predicting that years before. So yeah. this is the sort of thing where I feel like, and, it, and it, it's a point of frustration for me, because I feel like, as you said, more people should be paying attention to people like uh, you, John, and Dave Nywert and Carolee Coons, and the people who uh, are observing these things from a place of what I believe to be a factual basis. And that uh, doesn't get recognized nearly enough. No, and also, you know, Digby, you know, Heather Pardon. Oh, you know, yeah, Digby. absolutely. Spot. Mm-hmm. She also writes for Salon. She's a, one of our best writers. Yeah. She knows the history of politics right. as well as a- anyone. Yeah. And, and she writes beautifully. She's a, a good friend. Josh Marshall was also really Josh kind Marshall. To, I mean, there was Ezra to, Klein, Marcos Melitzas, uh, the yeah, guys at Balloon friend, Juice, you know, Oliver Willis. Very, yeah. Yeah. Marcos and Daily Coast has been very kind to Crooks and Liars. Um, back when we were getting started, Josh Marshall was very kind to Crooks and Liars. And um, so I've, I'm very appreciative of all of them, you know, and, and uh, you know, Digby, I call her Digby just because that, that you know, people didn't even know she was, you know, a oh, woman yeah, for yeah. a year. Yeah. So um, I mean, and, I'll, I'll always refer to Duncan Black as Atrios. So right, yeah, <laughs> and Duncan. Him, yeah, I know. And then a good friend of mine, Howie Klein. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like my older brother. Oh and yeah, we have a we have a political pact together, the three of us, called Blue America, where we 
try to find really good progressive candidates and promote them. Mm-hmm. And it's not about being a political pack that scores victory after victory because the media likes that, right? Oh, yeah. you know, seven out of 10 of their candidates won. <laughs> we're tr- we realize that we're trying to get the message out. And so not every district that we're going to, um, you know, basically back somebody is going to be a blue district or a purple district. We're going to try to get a progressive message in a red district. Yeah. You know, to explain that, um, you know, uh, you know, we should lower the age of Medicare. Right. If it wasn't for Joe Lieberman, Medicare would have been lowered to 50. Yeah. Right. And and can you imagine the health care savings of this country if that had happened? Oh, yeah. Uh, if, I mean, if Joe Lieberman had allowed a public option into the Affordable Care Act, health care would be a lot different, too. Yeah. No, absolutely. But remember, he was the deciding vote. When to, uh, you know, three months prior to 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 this vote, he was all for expanding Medicare, but he was angry because the 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 grassroots of the left um, basically made him lose his Senate race because he was such a warmonger. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so it, it goes it goes that way. You know, it's so we so we know what the right message is. We know what's going to help the people. And um, and so that's what Blue America does. And, and I've been in it for a real, we've been in it now for over 10 years, 12 years, maybe 13 years. And um, and so we have a good record of, of backing really good progressive candidates. Um, and so I just want to give a shout out to Howie because he's he does uh, really great work. Yeah. And um, anyway, so. Yeah, it's it's just I mean, today, every day is a new dawn with the with the insanity, you know, and again, you talked about why should anybody, um, you know, uh, look at Alex Jones or listen to. Well, look where we are today. I mean, people been you should just ignore them. Yeah. Right. You know, I've been hearing that for, for 17. Well, let's say 16 years. Me right? too. Me too. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you know, look where we are. Mm hmm. Uh, I mean, we have now 607,000, right, over 607,000 people dead. And now the states that are Trump supporters are the ones that are being infected and dying. Right, right. More than anybody else. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, um, you know, and yet Fox News is still running craziness every day. Mm -hmm. And um, it's 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 this vaccine. You know, now they call it what? uh, well, what's what's Tucker's latest attack on on vaccine? You know, we're coming oh, yeah, to well, your house. Just, uh, Tucker, Tucker, Tucker doesn't attack. Tucker asks ridiculous questions. Right, was, right. What well, what is a vaccine anyway? Well, what is racism? I don't. What is this word racism? I, what's what's even the definition of that? You know, it's just like. Oh, but have you ever heard of white supremacy before? What's a neo-Nazi? <laughs> yeah. I'm just asking. You know what? I, I'm I'm dying to talk a little bit about you and and your career because you have had an incredible uh, journey through your life. It's remarkable to look at some of the things that you've done in your life as far as uh, not just political blogging but also music. So where did you grow up? Because I recognize the accent. So <laughs> I yeah, I grew of... up in a story. Yeah, I grew up in Astoria, Queens. There you go. Yeah. 
Are, are both of your folks uh, Italian or just your one? Yeah, one I'm like a Sicilian. I think my sister did one of those, uh, you know, DNA things. And yeah. we're about as Sicilian as is humanly possible, whatever, the, you know. <laughs> Incredible. So you're not Italian. You are Sicilian. There's a, well, there's you know, a big I difference. Just, I call myself an Italian-American. Yeah. My grandparents yeah. came in like 1918. Right. Oh, my God. That, yeah, so did, and the racism so that they faced, mm-hmm. uh, just, just with this one thing. The racism was so bad against them that they they learned that they were here before they had children. They 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 learned English after X amount of years. And then when the kids were born, they only spoke English because they didn't want the kids speaking Italian outside because they would have been attacked. Yeah. So I remember, you know, when I was, uh, you know, taking Spanish in, in, in high school, it's like, why don't we I'd ask my parents, why don't we speak Italian? I, it's, yeah. you know, it bothered me. And. You know, I asked my grandfather, he said, oh, people were attacking us. I mean, yeah. people don't realize that. And I'm not this isn't a, you know, a comparison, but Italians were being lynched. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a new Yogi, uh, you know, the great Yogi biography, Yogi Berra. And they talk about that. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it, so because of racism back then, I, you know, my I, my sister and I do not speak Italian and we should. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Both of my grandparents came over about the same time as your grandparents. And uh, my dad grew up in a household where uh, both of his parents spoke Italian. His grandparents spoke Italian, but it wasn't taught to the kids. So my dad's generation uh, didn't get any of that. In fact, my dad's had to go to class to learn Italian in, in later uh, life to uh, to get caught up. So it's a it's a pretty amazing thing. Things have changed quite significantly, I think, for uh, immigrants since then. But you know, I assume too that most people who visit uh, your website, Crooks and Liars, don't know that you're an accomplished professional musician. When did you first fall in love with music, John? Well, you know, I, as a kid, um, I I just remember there's certain. I have a very good memory, um, and so I remember in the second grade. Um, there was uh, we went to a classroom and there are all these instruments and I saw a violin and yeah. I said, wow, I want to play that, you know, and of course I was in the second grade and I couldn't get it. But then I just always had that, you know, I was always interested in wanting to play an instrument and, you know, I don't know why. Um, and um, I mean, I used to listen to as a child, right, you know, top 40, mm-hmm. you know, cousin Brucey and all that kind of stuff or oh, whatever yeah. it was back then, you know, and um <clears throat> And then in, um, I, you know, I don't know how it is now in, in schools when you go to high school, but they get at the sixth grade, they had us all in the auditorium and they, they gave us this test, right? They had all the, the graduating class. Mm-hmm. I, and, um, and I guess it was just a basic music class. So, cause they would figure out who should go to shop, you know, who has a little talent in art, who can do this. And so then in the seventh grade, I, I was put in the junior, junior band mm-hmm. and, um, and so, you know, I won't get into it all, but um, I wound up getting the trombone, which I hated. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until my senior year that I, I I went to the beginning band and I wanted the flute because it was light and I could take it on the bus with me and I got the saxophone. Oh, really? So it was the saxophone almost by default, huh? Exactly. I wow. didn't really choose it. Um, and then, I don't know, a couple months into the class, um, the teacher said, you know, you have some music ability my friend, Mike Rod, um, he's a Juilliard, you know, monster, you know, you should mm-hmm. take lessons with him. And uh, then Mike Rod became my first sort of music mentor. Wow, and that's incredible. He's passed away since he was a, 
you know, just a, you know, tremendous uh, musician. And um, yeah, when you studied so then, with, uh, you also studied with Andrew Loyla from the New York correct. Ballet, didn't you? Was that uh, before or after school? Uh, I mean, after no, college. Well, when I went to, right, I mean, I went to Hunter College. Yeah. And I went there, I, I wasn't planning on, I mean, I was, I was playing, to be honest with you, in my first band in the disco era, 1976. Wow. But, um, but I was going to minor in music. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I was taking lessons, but I was going to, I wanted to be a writer, but also, you know, they give you, when you graduate or getting high school, they give you this aptitude test and, and it's like hundreds of questions, you know, again, to help you get an idea of what you might should go into in college. And it told me I should be a psychotherapist, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist. <laughs> so I said, well, maybe I should. So I took a basic psychology class. Uh -huh. Um, and then, you know, I found the jazz band, the jazz workshop. And so then I, I just on a whim, you know, I had I had uh, Mike had told me that, you know, if you if you want to continue with this, you're going to have to learn how to play the flute and the clarinet. And I, at the time, I hated the clarinet. Yeah. But I guess I had an affinity for the flute. I was playing it not very long. And so then they had this audition at Hunter College for a Carnegie Hall scholarship. And um, and I learned a Bach flute sonata and, you know, three of us were picked and I was one of the people that won the scholarship. Yeah. And um, and so then, yeah, luckily, um, I had one teacher that was terrible, um, like one of these, you know, there are some classical people that um, are very full of themselves. Oh, and yeah. Like in anywhere. But um, and then when I got to Andrew, it was a godsend. He was the principal flutist for the New York City Ballet. Yeah. And he had a studio in Carnegie Hall. And so it was unbelievable going to Carnegie Hall. I can't imagine. Oh, my God. And like. Because there's, you know, people, it's not just a concert hall. There's tons of practice rooms and, all, you know, all these different little suites and offices. And it was incredible. And he was such a great man, just such a, he was almost like a hippie in a way. He wasn't a hippie, but he had longer hair. Mm -hmm. He was just so like, you know, I can't say, you know, how much I love that guy. Yeah. And even after I had graduated, um, he would still like he wouldn't even charge me for a lesson, Yeah, yeah. you know, and I'd be in his studio for two and a half hours. He goes, listen, I'm not taking your money because this is my space. He goes, when I go into a session or, you know, in, uh, you know, if I'm playing for the ballet or if I'm doing a recording session, they tell me what to do. So you can't tell me what to do in my own space. You God, know? And so that's incredible. W were you intimidated by uh, being in that climate, especially at Carnegie Hall with this uh, famous uh, music guy, New York Ballet? No, not I mean, really. Yeah. No, I mean, it was um, because I wanted to learn, you know, yeah. like at first, you know, and, and I've learned a lot, obviously, over the years. And I think I, I'll, I'll make a generalization. Most people hmm. who get a good job don't believe they deserve it half the time yeah. or they don't think they're smart enough. And, you know, and so when I won the scholarship, because there are people there, you know, old, much older than me that, I mean, to me, played better than I did. And they were pissed off that I got the scholarship, you know, sure, and, um, sure. and so I'm going, well, I don't know why I got the scholarship. Maybe they just like me or something, you know, that's really seriously went through my head, you know, but <laughs> when I, when I went, I was just, it was so mad it was so great going into, into the Carnegie hall. He was such a great guy. And, um, it, it was, it was a wonderful experience. I was never intimidated because, you know, um, we started with a, a Paul Hindemith flute sonata and, um, 
you know, his, his teaching technique, we were just simp- simpatico, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? And uh, plus, you know, it's funny. I don't know how, how your, your listeners, you know, view uh, ballet dancers or, you know, I just always had this impression that ballet dancers were these little waifs, you know, and, <laughs> no, and I got on the elevator. Yeah, yeah. I were, I got on the elevator, you know, with all these ballet dancers and they towered over me and, and like, I have the most respect for dancers probably than almost anything, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the incredible shape, but the discipline and, and, you know, and he told me, I, cause I was like, I was stunned. It's like, wow, I, I can't believe the, the physical you know shape that they're in. And, and, you know, and he's going, man, it's hell. If, if they, you know, stub their toe, they could be out for a season. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I also played down at, at, uh, NYU for this uh, Margaret Beals. She was an improvisational dance expert, and I I played flute with these improvisational dancers from uh, from around the world that came to study with her, and that was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just love dancers. Um, anyway, so so that sort of you know, and also I met Mill Tinton, um, who was a famous jazz bass player who ran the jazz workshop. And um, I didn't know anything about jazz. You know, I was a rocker. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, it took my years a while to sort of uh, come around to to changes because I was used to, you know, I grew up on Aqualung and Led Zeppelin and mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix and Frank Zappa was my hero too. And, you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, Layla. And, anyway, so, uh, so, so he was a, a big influence on me. And then, you know, then I graduated, I started to do some teaching and then you just go out into the world and start playing. Yeah. So was the first step as far as getting to popular music was the first step uh, becoming a session musician? Were you doing a lot of sessions at the time? Well, back in New York, I mean, I played a lot of, you know, I got into bands to make money. So yeah. I did a lot of parties and corporate functions. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was actually, and I, I was writing original music with, with some uh, good friends of mine, but it was actually, I came out to California up in the Bay Area, it, I didn't really plan to stay here, but um, I, I I liked it. And there were these JJ Blues clubs up there. Yeah, um, I don't even know if many of them are around anymore. And this guy Tom Castro, who's a award Bay Area award winning blues artist, and he took me under his wing, and I started playing up there. And then I came to to California, and that's when I sort of started meeting, um, you know, some sort of superstars i met john taylor probably 97 duran duran yeah right because i you know and uh and so then he asked you know and uh with with some other friends and then you know he said hey i you know you want to do a session for me you know i said sure and then he put together an original band in 98 and so i joined his band and then through that um, i met other people and you know, I got to, you know, what I have this, my, my prized possession is um, I did a couple of sessions for Ringo Starr. Oh, yeah. And um, huh. and because uh, uh, Mark Hudson was his producer and Mark had heard me play with John. So he goes, hey, man, you know, I got this great studio over in Santa Monica. Why don't you do some stuff? For I was like, sure. Great. You know, and so he wrote a bunch of stuff for 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 Ringo Starr. And so I got to play in a couple of tracks and I got to meet him, become friends and Ozzy Osbourne and all those kinds oh, of guys. It's incredible. And uh, and actually, you know, when his wife, um, Ozzy's wife, got that first uh, when she was doing that talk show. Yeah, Sharon. Yeah. Right. When Sharon got the talk show, uh, Mark had written the theme song and all the cues. And I came in and uh, did the demo for him. And Ozzy was there. <laughs> and uh, it's so all he did is just yell Sharon in the middle of the theme, you know. <laughs> right. Of course and, he did. 
I mean, he was the, <laughs> really the nicest, funniest guy, you know, I, I mean, and we were laughing in the studios and, uh, so if, if you ever, if you see an old rerun mm-hmm. and you hear the end, the theme song, you hear my little sax solo at the end. But, uh, that's uh, so great. So when did you first hook up with Duran Duran? Because I mean, you ended up touring with those guys. Was that in the 80s or was it later? No, it no. This was, in other words, they reformed. Yeah. I mean, like 2000, I don't know if it was 2002 or mm-hmm. 2003. Um, and because John, you know, we were, uh, John was going for record deals and we, we, played for three three four years yeah and um and so then they reformed finally and so one day you know i just uh i got a call from john he goes hey uh you know we're playing down at the blockbuster bowl um there's this big like british explosion concert yeah i go yeah he goes you want to do the solo on rio it's wow. like yeah of course why not you know so i learned the solo rio and and uh and so I, you know, there was like 70,000, I don't know, it was this huge venue where every British superstar, you know, it was, it was run, it was promoted, I believe by the radio station. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was this massive concert and, uh, and, you know, so they did their set, I had to wait to the end. And then after, after I played with them, they're like, Hey, we're playing in Santa Barbara tomorrow. You want to do it? Yeah, sure. And then they were going, listen, we're going to San Francisco on Sunday. We're playing, a." 103.7, you know, concert there in, in the park. I go, sure. And so that's what happened. Then suddenly, like, you know, we got to get you on a few more songs. You know? so, <laughs> right. So now so you're then, the touring saxophonist, right? So it was great. I mean, John, you know, I can't sing enough praises to John Taylor. He's just, a, a you know, I owe him a lot. He's just yeah, a great yeah. guy. He was a great friend. And the guys in the band were really kind. And then, um, and then, you know, we did a few other dates and then, um, they got, they were doing the house of blues in Chicago for like a three days or a week. I forget. So mm-hmm. then they asked me to do that. And then, um, you know, then I went to, I played down in, uh, in Atlantic city with them, San Diego. And then we went to New Zealand and, uh, in Australia, and that was awesome. Oh my god! So, what was it like touring with those guys? Did, was there a lot? I guess the question is: Was there a lot of partying uh, when you? Oh, you know, I mean, it's not like everybody was twenty years old. So, <laughs> yeah, no. that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, um, you know, John had recently been married, and the drummer was a great guy. Another t- last name was Taylor. Mm-hmm. So, all, all of the guys were married. Yeah, and, and they were, you know, they treated me with class. And and look, these guys you know, with stars for a long time and they knew how to tour yeah. and they knew how you behave, you know, and, and how you act and, and how, um, how you can survive it. I mean, that had to have been the main thing. Like, yeah, I, like I said, they were just, you know, great to me. And, um, so, and you know, the good thing is, you know, when I went to Australia, New Zealand, they put me in, in, you know, in other words, people tour, right. When you're on a big tour, you hear about, you know, have you seen almost famous? There's a new, extended version released it's Mm -hmm. too long the old just watch the old movie because two and a half hours is too much for that movie but it's a great movie (laughs) but you got you know your roadies and sound techs and managers and especially we were playing big soccer fields and um and so it was pretty wild and um and but i got to stay in the you know in the main suites and the big hotels that's um, so great and, you know, and, and we'd like, let's say we had a day off, we'd go up the coast and go on these boats and stuff. It was, it was really great, you know? And again, I, I can't thank them enough. And, um, 
you know, it, you know, it's uh, it was a wonderful period in my life. And I, I'm so fortunate that I got to experience a dream that I had, had as a kid, you know, because believe me, you know, there's not how many, you know, superstar sort of rock bands have sax players in it. Yeah, that's right. But, I, you know, in the 80s, 80s was all about saxophone and pop music. I mean, so that was a that was kind of a thing. And I think that maybe uh, acted as a as a springboard. So maybe you were still riding the wave of the saxophone revolution of the 1980s. I guess, I don't know. I mean, you know, I was, <laughs> I was lucky. I mean, cause they had sax, but you know, then I put sax in certain things that didn't have sax and, and yeah. <laughs> uh, all that stuff. But yeah, in, in the British, you know, the, the, the re, you know, when the Britain explosion came around again through MTV, you know, they had the English beat and a lot of the bands that did use sax occasionally, mm-hmm. but it wasn't in every song. Right, right. But no, so it was, it was, uh, you know, a great time. So are you still performing now? Do you still play? No, I, I well, I still play a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I won't get into this, but the reason I became a political blogger was because a doctor, doctor basically disabled me. So, oh my God. So, you know, that's what sort of turned my life into a different direction. Did you you have um, like a did you have like a hand injury or something that required no, was, treatment or was this I, an accident? Was, yeah, I was in I was playing the House of Blues and and I jumped up and I felt this pull in my midsection, and um, it's uh you know doctors thought it was nerve damage. I don't want to get into the whole history. Of sure, it, sure, but, of course. But it's like um, it basically um, has you know hampered me for oh, a long time. What a shame. So it made me I I couldn't go back on the road. Yeah. But do you still and, pick it up? Do you still play the instrument? Do you still pick it up? Every yeah, once in I mean, a while? yeah, like, um, yeah, I mean, it still bugs me. You know, um, I have to be sort of careful. But when mm-hmm. I'm in a good spot, then I can, you know, play again. I'm actually slowly starting to put a few things online. Yeah. But, um, you know, back when I was doing it, you know, when I was playing with all these different people, it wasn't, you know, video cameras everywhere. It's amazing. There's quite an overlap between uh, playing rock music, playing, uh, being a professional musician and being a, a political blogger. Like I know Charles Johnson uh, from Little Green Footballs, and he was right. an extremely accomplished guitar player with all of these, uh, you know, absolutely b- huge, huge names. Stanley Clark, for example, Al Jarreau. Oh, yeah. And so uh, you guys both have that in common where you were once musicians touring with these A-listers and now you're kind of A-lister bloggers. And uh, I wonder if there's a connection there. I wonder if we all at heart want to be rock stars, John. I don't know. You know, um, it's funny. I make you laugh. When I was 12, Liberace was like a big influence. <laughs> so I wasn't a rock star. I was Liberace <laughs> with his with the piano. And, hey, he know, was, a, was, he like, was an amazing musician. Yeah. You know, he, was, you know, really he was what he was, you know, and it's like, wow. You know, and I got a piano after that. So that was sort of the first time I got an instrument. Oh, that's remarkable. But so, um, so what's next for uh, Crooks and Liars? Do you have anything on the horizon as far as any new uh, technology, any new direction you want to go with the site? Well, um, you know, we're actually getting ready uh, in August. Well, we'll be releasing our new um, homepage, which is we're just, you know, going through the codes and, oh, and making things easier. And uh, so we'll be releasing our new homepage and then hopefully, you know, moving on. Um, I mean, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time and every mm-hmm. time I get ready to do it, you know, too much work happens and then my tweak, my injury and I have to just. I can't do it. So, yeah, yeah. so we're looking at that, but right now we're focusing on our, our redesign and mm-hmm. so that'll be coming out probably in the 
second week of August. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, uh, before we wrap up here, I got to thank you so much for allowing me to participate on some level with Crooks and Liars. There was a period of time there where I was uh, contributing blog entries and so on to you guys, and it was such a treat. I mean, I, you know, I started like all the rest of us where I had my own little blog and, and it was only because of attention from places like the Huffington Post and, of course, you guys at Crooks and Liars that I was able to continue to advance, advance up the ladder. And so I'm immensely grateful for that. So thank you. It's my pleasure. You know, one of the big features, like uh, there's this tremendous musician, Mike Finnegan, and mm-hmm. he was a big influence. He was a great friend of mine. And he's the one who actually got me involved more involved with politics so what we did early on is you'll still see it on our website every day is it's called mike's blog roundup yeah and so what we would do and mike was doing it for a while was he would go for like you know uh, the less traffic writers that he liked we would put links and just say read these cool stories from liberal progressive bloggers or news stories Mm -hmm. and so it was a way for me to give back you know to the community immediately because the fact that I was, you know, that, that uh, crooks and liars, you know, was being successful. I wanted to share the, you know, sort of the traffic as much as I could. Yeah. And so, and that, so we've been doing Mike's blog roundup, you know, since the inception of crooks and liars, I maybe in, you know, maybe it's like 16 years as opposed to 17. God, it's been so long. um, Yeah. And, you know, Mike was a big influence and he's a, you should look up Mike Finnegan's uh, discography. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah just amazing person but anyway yeah so yeah so we're just you know i mean the fight is still on you know we're trying (laughs) to to get through this quagmire of conspiracy theory insanity yeah and um you know you know i think the country needs us more than ever are you taking a little bit of a hit on traffic because people are kind of tuning out politics uh, this year well Uh, yeah the whole yeah i mean from what i read yeah the whole internet is down yeah um, and it has to also, yep. you, you know, I mean, um, also when you got people that have been locked up, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because of a pandemic for over a year yeah, um, and the weather is getting nice, people just want to go out. That's know? right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, you know, and hopefully, uh, you know, the following year we got the midterms coming. Yeah. Anybody wants to come to the site, you know, check it out. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, the The legendary website is crooksandliars.com, one of the Pantheon blogs that you should be following every day. Make sure if it's not bookmark. I mean, I, I've had the Crooks and Liars bookmark in my internet browser for and, and going from computer to computer to computer. I mean, over I've had a thousand computers since uh, Blogosphere 1.0, and that bookmark has always been in that folder, right? At the same bookmark that I created in 2005 or whatever it was. Meanwhile, you can follow John on Twitter at John Amato, link in the description at bobseska.com. Thank you so much, my friend, and thank you for your support in the early days. I really valued the opportunity to be a part of blogging history and uh, your legendary website. So thank you you again yeah, i'm glad to have helped you know you're a great guy i'm, I'm you know all good tidings to your podcast and to your <laughs> continued ventures because you know we need all the the good credible honest voices that we can have out there well thank you so much my friend i can't wait to have you on again uh you're certainly welcome back anytime yeah absolutely all right, buddy. all right hey thanks all right. again john take care man thanks bob bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye.